We got to make some tracks today, guys. Jesus, we are here for you. We're not here to check any kind of, you were good this week, box. We're not here to somehow set a gauge for how the next week's going to go, like, I don't know, some superstitious thing that we do. We're not here because uh, anybody's that great to look at. Uh, no. Jesus, we are here for you. We are here for you. And what I love about you, God, is that when we take the time to sit with you, we walk away changed. And we receive nothing less today than that we walk out of here different than when we came in. Because I know that that's your heart this morning, Jesus. And we thank you in advance. I, I'm just partnering with you, God. I'm partnering with you and work a miracle with the time. Thank you. Oh man, it's good. I, I feel so, so blessed to be here today. Uh, hello. Boy, you're good looking. I mean, you know, if you gotta come and look at somebody, you're not bad. You're not bad. Hello to you online who are tuning in. I felt that it was imperative that I say my hellos to each and every one of you, whether you're here physically or not, because God has a word for somebody today. And um, this, this is a, well, let me just get into this. Let me just say to you that somebody here is going through some things and there has been a cry in your heart. Where are you, God? If that is you, hang on, because God is mindful of you. He is mindful of me too. Man, we, we, uh, we're going through this together. I'm so grateful. Listen, we are in our Plenty series. Pastor Russ mentioned that. In this series, we've talked about a lot of different things. It's, it's all around the goodness of God um, and how when you're, when you're linked arms with Jesus, what he gives to you is so much better than if you walked it out alone. You might think that you have control without him, of course you don't, but when you partner with him, there is something great that comes out of that through your life. And so we have talked about, we have talked about, just one moment. We have, we have talked about the goodness of the plenty of God in our lives. That's what we talked about on Easter. We talked about uh, a plenty mindset, what that looks like. We talked about plenty in the, the aspect of trusting God, and we also have talked about plenty um, in the favor of God over our lives. And um, this, a lot of this has sprung from John 10.10, 10, and this is where Jesus was saying, like, listen, if, if you walk with me, I can promise you your life will be more than getting by. I'm totally paraphrasing. It will be, you will not only have life, you will have it abundantly. This is plenty. This morning, the topic is, uh, is, is, is pain. Now, I want to say this on the outset of this. 
I have been a person in deep, deep grief and uh, heard people try to address me in that spot. It's very difficult to hear when you are really, really battling. What I do not want you to do is to be offended and shut down. I am not going to give you any glib answers. There's a whole lot about God we just plain don't know. And I want to be honest about that right here and right now. When you are in the midst of really, really deep pain and hard, it's all wrapped up in here, and the brain is not really interested in engaging all that much. Because the pain isn't in the brain so much as it's in the soul. So if you will just grace me here, not be offended, not think, listen, how dare you try and give me some glib answer for what I'm going through. I'm not doing that. But we need to discuss some things because in the area of plenty, there's still pain. And we have to talk about what we do with pain and plenty. Now, the truth is, and here's, here's the whole, here's the crux of the thing here, is that an... I want to propose to you that plenty, the plenty of God, is, does not equal the removal of all pain. If we can start there, if you could just allow me that, let me say it again. The goodness of God in his plenty does not equal the removal of all pain. Okay, let's start there. But what I, what I want to get to at the end of this I want to propose to you that the goodness of God, his plenty, is his presence in pain. Okay, are you tracking? Okay. His presence in pain. All right. This morning we did something a little bit differently. I'm going to be teaching out of, I need you to know, I study out of the NASB. I like the translation wording in the Passion Translation. Unless you have this book, you're not going to be able to read it the way that I'm reading it. So we've printed it out. Emma has printed it out on note cards. If you don't have one, get one just so you can follow along. You can follow along in your uh, NASB or whatever version of the Bible you have. I'm just wanting to extend this to you, okay? All right? Everybody's really quiet. Don't be scared. It's going to be okay. All right, let's go to Judges chapter 6. Once again, the Israelites did evil in the sight of Yahweh, so Yahweh handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. The crushing power of the Midianites overwhelmed Israel, forcing the Israelites to make hiding places for themselves in caves and mountain strongholds. Okay. We're going we're gonna to dissect this, like one section at a time. Are you down with that? Good, because you don't have a choice. Um, this whole thing begins with, once again, Israel has this history of departing from God. And then he eventually he allows them to suffer the consequences of this. See, they have this history of devotion followed by deviance leading to disobedience resulting in destruction. That's their past. Isn't it nice God doesn't quit on them? I'm so glad because I have that same kind of past. I don't know about you. 
some interesting things about this. The word Midian, it's the Midianites, right, that are oppressing them. The word Midian means strife, contending. It means hard. They literally embody strife. It, we have in this, this the illustration of, of the people of God compromising with the world. And that always, always results in strife. Okay? Now, here's the thing about strife, and I think we, we could probably all wave a hand. Strife or contention, pain, have the power to crush and overwhelm the soul of a person. Am I right? It, and that, in turn, affects our behaviors, our actions. And here's what Israel did, and I ask yourself this question. Israel went into hiding. They isolated themselves. Hmm. How many of you could say, yeah, when I'm dealing with strife, when Midian marches into my land, I tend to hightail it to the cave. Yeah. Verse 3, whenever the Israelites planted any crops and before they could reap the harvest, the Midianites would come, from, would come with the Amalekites and other desert tribes and they would invade the land. They would camp in their fields, the Israelites' fields. They would destroy their crops as far as Gaza. They would seize all of their sheep, their cattle, their donkeys. They left nothing for the Israelites to live on. When they invaded the land with their livestock and, with their livestock and camels and tents, they were as numerous as locusts, leaving the land desolate. Israel was impoverished and helpless against them. Then the Israelites, with shattered hearts, cried to Yahweh for mercy. Life became really difficult for them. Nothing went right. Everything they did went sideways. It got to the place where they couldn't even provide for their own needs. It's interesting here that uh, the writer says that the Midians, Midianites, the Amalekites, the enemies looked like locusts. Did you know that uh, I was looking up facts on drought and famine. Did you know that one of the things that's guaranteed to come with drought on a, on a land is locusts? Now, I want to propose to you that the drought wasn't necessarily because of the Midianites. No, the Midianites, they're the locusts. They came after. I think the drought, the, the lack, the pain, was the withdrawal, the dryness of communion with God. And this led to the gathering of locusts. And everything is devoured. Now, this is where we're going to dive deep here. So hang on. I want to I be quick, and yet I want to be succinct. Because I tried to cut more things, and I just felt like I couldn't. So, okay, buckle up, baby. Here we go. This brings up some really... Tough questions with regard to God and pain. Is God the source of pain or suffering? That's, that's the question. Could God cause pain and suffering? This is really uncomfortable. Okay, okay let me give you some real-world examples. A shooter guns down innocent school children. Tornado wipes out a whole suburb. Loved one commits suicide. 
You or someone you know is diagnosed with a debilitating and or life-threatening disease. A nation experiences catastrophic, unjust war. Children starve to death. Now, here's the deal. It, as I, I, and, I, and I'm not going to point any fingers. I, I will tell you that I myself have been here. When I went to the nation of Rwanda at the 10-year uh, anniversary of the genocide that occurred between the Hutus and Tutsis, we walked through a memorial museum, and there were glass cabinets that were full of skulls stacked that had been macheted. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people lost their lives. And my question was, God, how could you let this happen? Well, I, it's taken me a long time to get to the place. I think that, I think that had, I, had I experienced great pain with that understanding of God, I think it would have sunk my ship. Because the truth is, that God is not interested in our American understanding and definition of the word good. We call him a good God, and what we really mean is that he's absence of any difficulties. He's absent of, of the hard. Like, he's all warm and fuzzy. Everything's positive to make me happy. And we call that a good God. And I want to propose to you, that's not correct. And listen, the Bible is written in a time and in generations and in a nation that was Eastern, and they understood the true definition of a good God. And even though things went bad for them, they still loved this good God. They called him good. He was like none other, no other God represented in a mostly polytheistic earth. This one stood out. He was good. Listen, let's redefine it. Let's redefine what goodness is. Because the truth is that life on earth from the very beginning has never been devoid of hard. You think I'm lying? How about the Garden of Eden? Adam and Eve were told in Genesis 1.28 to subdue everything. That's hard. They had to work. I imagine it was hard. Their, their garden wasn't perfectly uh, cultivated and there were likely weeds, believe it or not. Nobody said that the paths were straight, that they never had to work. Listen, let's think about this a little bit more. Death existed, now not with humans, I want to be very clear about that, but we know that it only makes sense in a world that God created with natural cycles, orders, whatever, that plants died, microorganisms died, animals died, insects died. How do I know that? Well, because if rabbits are left to reproduce unhindered in 30 years, they will care, cover every square foot of Earth's surface. Some rabbits had to die. <laughs> How about this? Beetles, my favorite class of insects, Coleoptera. Beetles left unchecked would be, 
they, there would be one, a, a layer of them covering the whole earth in less than a year. Now, I don't see you and I having to shuffle our feet through uh, beetle carcasses. Listen, natural processes were set in motion with creation. These included, for instance, the life cycle, the water cycle, weather patterns, lows and highs coming together, and then all of a sudden we get this thing called a tornado. Did God cause it? Free will. God in his sovereignty chose to step back and give you and I the freedom to choose him or reject him. People do really crazy things by choice that affect and impact you and me. Instead of asking, God, why did you let this happen? Maybe we should change it to, um, so what was this the result of? Was this a natural disaster? Was this a genetic mutation? Was this somebody who made a terrible decision that impacts an entire nation? Is that possible? Yes or no? Absolutely it is. No, instead, we go, we, we go clear to the extreme and we say, God, you should have stopped this. And God's like, I, I didn't have anything to do with it. We want to have our cake and eat it too. I think that's our American culture. But here's, here's the rub. Can God be the source of pain? Yes, he can. We have a history of that in this book here. Just, just, just in the people groups documented here, we have the flood. Who caused that? God did. We have Sodom and Gomorrah. They were wiped off the face of the earth. Who did that? God did that. And we have David and Bathsheba's first baby. The word says that God struck him. I don't like that. I don't, I don't like that. But listen to this in Isaiah 45. It says this. It says... <clears throat> This is God talking to the prophet, and he's talking about Jesus, and he says, everyone everywhere will know that I am Yahweh, the one and only God, and there is no other. And then he says, I create light, I make it dark. What? I make bliss, and I create adversity. I am Yahweh who does all these things. Do you know that that word adversity there in the Hebrew means woe, disaster, calamity, judgment, affliction, disturbance, distress, misery, trouble. He says, I, I create that. We don't like that. But that's what the word says. Now, this doesn't mean that God's responsible for all of the pain in our world and lives. I've said before, I just wish sometimes God would get the credit for what he really does. Instead of the blame for the stuff he has nothing to do with. Dr. Harold Eberly says this, he says it, it simply means that God is sovereign 
And he can be a source of pain and suffering when he selectively chooses to be. He's God. Are you with me? You're real quiet. <laughs> Acts chapter 17 says this. It says, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the f all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. And then he says this. He says, that they would seek God if perhaps they might grope for him and find him though he is not far from each of us. I want to propose to you that God's goal is that you find him. Is, is it beyond reach that he might use suffering, adversity, pain to bring you into the revelation of who he is? His goal is connecting with you. I think of Job and uh, if you've never read the book of Job, don't. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Job was the only book I could read after I lost my daughter to suicide because Job got it. He was saying the same things I wanted to say. He's like, how could you do this to me? He lost everything. He lost all of his kids. He lost all of his wealth. He lost everything. And at the beginning of the book, it starts with, well, Satan came before God and said, what about your servant Job? And it says that God allowed him to test him. Huh. At the end of it, after he goes through all of this and he's got these friends that are dumb, um, <laughs> they give him really bad counsel. You talk about glib statements. They say to him, it's your fault, you've done something wrong, that's why you're suffering. And he knows that can't be. He knows that can't be. And, and here's the thing. It, he says at the end of this, he says, I have heard of you. Because, okay, let me slow down just a second. God shows up for him. At the end of it all, when Job is really mad and shaking his fist and saying, why did you ever create me if this was all you had for me? And God shows up and he, it's funny, he shows up in his might. He shows up in his sovereignty. He shows up in his power and he says, who are you to question me? You don't know the whole picture. I do. And he goes through this long list of things that he has seen come into being. And Job, at the end of this, he ends with this. He says in verse 5 of 42, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. I am trying. <laughs> Listen, Job had believed in God. He'd heard about him all of his life. Job had lived his life in obedience to the will of God, but it wasn't until the end of his period of suffering that he could actually say, now I see you. Oh, come on. Listen, this isn't news to you. This shouldn't be news to you. It's in the New Testament too. Romans 3 or 5 uh, verse 3 says, tribulation, that's pain, brings about perseverance. Perseverance, proven character, proven character, hope. And listen to this, listen to this. 
It says in Hebrews that, uh, speaking of Jesus, although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. Evidently, there's something about pain and suffering that leads to maturity. If you have gone through pain and suffering, you know this. You look back and you say, man, I didn't like that, but I'm changed. Hopefully you're changed for the better. Please consider how profound this is, this, this idea of Job. This is from uh, Harold Eberly. He says, God is God. He owes no one an explanation for anything he does or allows to happen. To realize this is to bow before him. From that position, he can be seen more clearly. And seeing him is the single most important accomplishment in any person's life. How many of you have heroes in the faith and you look at them and you say, man, I wish what they had. I wish I had what they have. Do you know what? They got what they have. They are where they are because they suffered somewhere along the way. You cannot have closeness with God and avoid pain throughout the entirety of your life. It doesn't work that way. Back to Judges. Verse 7. When the Israelites, with shattered hearts, cried out to Yahweh because of the Midianite oppression, he sent them a prophet with this message. Listen, it came to the point where they couldn't take it anymore. It's funny. They went a long time, it sounds like. They went a long time rejecting God. But suffering drew them to this place where they recognized their need for him. Because here's the thing. When we're in pain... It seems to me we have a choice. We can either try and figure out or rather blame God for the, as the source of the pain or we can seek the source of strength in the middle of it. We have a choice to make. Most times, most times, God is not the source of your pain, but he is always Always, always, always the source of your strength. Always. You can bet on it. The prophet says, listen to the words of Yahweh, the God of Israel. I delivered you from Egypt and from a life of slavery. I snatched you up from the brutality of the Egyptians. I rescued you from the people who invaded this land and fought against you. I drove them out as you advanced, and I gave their land to you. I told you that I am Yahweh, your God, and that you must not worship the false gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But you did not listen to my voice. Do you know that Yahweh is kind of a mysterious name of God. It means I am who I am. But what's interesting and what a lot of people don't know is that anytime God shows up in the Old Testament and he reveals himself to humankind, he makes contact with someone in the Old Testament. 
that of the theophany, the theophany is the three in one manifesting. That's Jesus. Jesus has not been absent throughout the entirety of the Old Testament. You need to understand this. He's always been there. He's the one of the Godhead that made contact with humankind. And he shows up here and he says, I am still the one. And God lists this legacy of love for Israel. Then it says, the angel of Yahweh came to the village of Ophrah and sat down under the oak tree that belonged to Joash, a man of the clan of Abizar. Now, I know I like to geek out on this stuff a little bit. Just, just hang with me. I need to tell you that the village name Ophrah means a dusty place. We're talking it's dry. All right? Joash, the name means God is strong. And Abizar means my father of help. So here's what we have here. Jesus meets us in our desolate, our dusty places, seated in strength and rooted in a father who comes to our aid because he wants to. That's what we have this picture of here. Now, Gideon was secretly threshing some wheat in a wine press. That's the wrong thing to do in the wrong place, okay? so that the Midianites wouldn't see him. Yahweh's angel suddenly appeared. Apparently, he was invisible up to this point. He appears to Gideon and he said, Yahweh's presence goes with you, man of fearless courage. Gideon says, me? But sir, if Yahweh is truly with us, why have all these troubles come to us? Where are all his miracle wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not Yahweh deliver us out of Egypt? But now Yahweh has abandoned us and put us under the power of the Midianites. God, how could you do this to us? Listen, you know, Gideon's name means warrior. He didn't believe he was a warrior, but God knew who he was and he called him by name. Hey, warrior, rise up. Gideon was at the time... All he was doing was he was striving. He was worrying. That's what we do in pain, right? We hide out. We try to make something good in a place that's never going to produce anything good. It's called worry. It's a waste of time. But what's nice is that God doesn't walk away. It's interesting to me, too, that God doesn't defend himself to, to Gideon. He's not an insecure God, guys. He knows who he is. It says, then Yahweh himself faced Gideon directly and he said, am I not sending you? With my presence, you have all you need. Go in the strength that you now have and rescue Israel from Midian's power. I have this picture of Yahweh almost taking Gideon's face and forcing him to look him in the eye. They're eyeball to eyeball. Did you know statistically teenagers say that the thing they want most from their parents is attention? Undivided attention. Do you know how they know when they get it? When you're looking at them eyeball to eyeball. Listen, here's what Gideon says to him. He says, but Lord, how could I ever rescue Israel. Of all the thousands in Manasseh, my clan is the weakest and I'm the least qualified in my family. 
Listen, fear makes excuses in the middle of pain. He's missing the point. God showed up for him. He's standing right there, looking him in the eye. But fear wants to make excuses. And I think it's probably because Gideon probably didn't want to have to go to war. Would you? I wouldn't. But listen, um, we know this. You can't overcome what you're unwilling to confront with or without God. You got to face it. Yahweh replies to him. He doesn't smack him upside the head and say, dummy. No. He says, my presence and my power will be with you. Believe me, Gideon, you will crush the Midianites as easily as if they were only one man. The Hebrew here is emphatic. It says, I absolutely will be with you. And there's something that happens in that moment. Because it, then it says, it says, God actually says to him, you have what it takes now. Chris Valentin often says this. He says that in the kingdom, believing is seeing. We want God to show up and rescue us out of the pain instead of saying, God, I'm looking for where you are here in the middle of it. Power is imparted when we do this. Face-to-face time with God changes us. When was the last time you looked God in the eye? See, we don't want to do that when we're suffering because we're secretly, we're blaming him. We're saying, you did this to me. God's not going to waste his time when he shows up because he is going to show up for you. And he's not going to waste time defending himself when he gets there. He's going to call you by name and he's going to say, I know who you are. And my heart toward you is good. This is not your life. This is not your story. This is not the end. And Gideon said, if it's really true, that you'll go with me and that I've found grace before your eyes, then show me a miracle sign to prove that you are really Yahweh speaking with me. He wants more. Don't leave until I return with my offering to you. And Yahweh answers him and he says, I will wait until you return. Now, this is where Gideon takes a big risk. Okay? By the way, God's not going anywhere. He's staying right there. So Gideon went out, and in this translation, it says that he cooked a young goat and many loaves of unleavened bread. He placed the meat in a basket, the broth in a pot. He took his offering, and he presented it to Yahweh under the oak tree. Now, here's the thing. Some versions say, the NASB says, that he used an ephah of flour. Do you know that an ephah is between 20 and 22 liters? And one ephah of barley weighs 48 pounds. Now this is important because he goes to offer a sacrifice of praise that costs him something. He didn't have that to give, but he believed that it was time. Something about it, he was so stirred, and it cost him something he couldn't afford. 
and it was important to him. Did God ask for it? No record of it. But Gideon knew he needed to offer a sacrifice of praise. God's angel said to Gideon, place the meat and the bread on that rock and pour the broth over them, and Gideon did so. Then Yahweh's angel reached out the staff he was holding. He touched the meat and the bread. All at once, a supernatural fire sprang up from the rock and burned up the meat and the bread. Then the angel of Yahweh vanished from his sight. Listen, this is, this is very interesting to me because we see this same type of sacrifice later. Remember Elijah and the prophets of Baal? Remember how when he prepared his sacrifice, he doused it all with water? Listen, wet wood, wet meat, wet bread doesn't burn. Gideon pour, or Yahweh, he has Gideon pour the broth over that thing. And that's why it says a supernatural fire erupted. Do you know what I think? I, th I think that that's really significant because... He's building a physical marker of a spiritual, well, actually, I'm not there yet. He's saying in this fire, I am here, I am real. Once again, Yahweh, I am who I am. I'm God. In other words, I am who I say I am, and I can do what I say I will do. When's the last time? You brought him a sacrifice of praise that cost you your focus on your pain. It's worth it. It says immediately Gideon realized that he'd seen the angel of Yahweh terror stricken. He said, oh Lord Yahweh, I've seen the angel of Yahweh face to face. This kind of makes me giggle a little because all this time he didn't recognize this was a full on encounter with God. Uh, it just makes me wonder. But Yahweh spoke to him. He couldn't see him, but he hears his voice. He speaks to Gideon and he says, be at peace, don't be afraid, you will not die. So Gideon built an altar to Yahweh there and he named it, in Yahweh there is peace. See, Gideon builds this physical marker of a spiritual encounter that took place in the natural. In other words, Heaven invaded earth for Gideon. And he wanted to remember it. What's interesting about this, I want to ask you, had Gideon's situation changed at this point? Nope. People were still oppressed. People were still hungry. They were still under attack. They were starving. They were still in the dark. And Gideon himself still had the hard to do. He had to face his fears. He didn't know what that was going to look like. But he knew he was going to have to confront his enemies. He was probably going to get bloody. And he was going to risk death. He had to lead. But something in Gideon's heart changed when he encountered God. He discovered that God's goodness, his plenty in the middle of his pain, was actually God's presence. Gideon sees only at this point in time, uh, you know it because of what he does. He, he takes the time to build an altar. This wasn't 10 minutes. This wasn't a virtual altar on your phone. At this moment, God was so real to him, he could only see the plenty of God. Even while he was still in his pain, 
And I want to propose to you that if you can see God in the midst of your pain, you have everything you need. I don't, I don't get it. I just know that, that it's true. I know it's true. Because the truth is that God revealed himself, Yahweh revealed himself to Gideon as Emmanuel, God with us. You can continue reading in Judges and you'll see how Gideon went on to, uh, in obedience, do exactly what God said. I love this. In the Passion Translation, it says in verse 34, it says, Then the Spirit of Yahweh clothed himself in Gideon and enveloped him. The notes there say, Holy Spirit wore Gideon-like clothing. Now, this was unusual in a day when Holy Spirit wasn't in the earth. You know what I mean? Jesus hadn't died. He hasn't, hadn't risen. Listen, I, it's time to invite the Holy Spirit to wear you like clothing too. It occurs to me that with regard to Jesus, Jesus suffered pain. And he endured it. And I think what's so amazing here, let me just read what I had written about this. Something wondrous and worthy there is about choosing him regardless of your circumstances. The evidence of this is found in the reality that our perfect and holy Savior was resurrected in scarred human flesh. In heaven, there he is in human form, in heaven, and his body still bears the physical marks of his suffering. Why? Your suffering is precious. One more excerpt from Harold's book. He says, you may not hear the answer you want when you go to God with your grievance. Instead, you may receive a call, a direction, a grace to do something you have never done before. Your questions may serve only to qualify you for a higher level of service and yes, of understanding. And your answer back to him may determine what he does in this world. The challenge is, what are you going to do with your suffering? What are you going to do with your pain? Man, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, that there really is beauty for ashes. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. We live in a fallen world where bad things happen. Bad people do bad things. They make bad choices that impact people that impact nations but we are never alone in it the goodness of god in his plenty is his presence in our pain i want you to as the worship team comes up here i want you actually to stay seated and i want i want to pray for you in maybe an unusual way
The most impacting thing, the thing that changed my life when things were really bad, when I first came into contact with a God who loves me, was I walked into a church where that building housed something of him I'd never experienced before. I'd never met God. And I was suffering so badly, it was, it caught my, my attention. It was as if when I came through that door, he grabbed my face and looked at me and said, Kelly. So what I, what I felt like God was saying this morning was, I want you to take the time to invite my presence in, not just corporately, but to individuals. Because Jesus is Emmanuel. Jesus was there with Gideon. He's here with you. He's here with me. And sometimes we just have to slow down enough to give him a chance to show up. I don't know what this is going to look like. I'm a little scared. But I'm willing to be uncomfortable. I'm willing to be wrong in taking you through this because I believe that God's goal for you this morning is that you find him in your pain. So go ahead and close your eyes. Holy Spirit, be our guide. Would you take us on a journey this morning where we can recall trust in you, promises of God, God is always with you, even and especially in the unawares, in the joy, in the pain, in the plenty, in the lack. I'm going to ask you to participate with me here this morning by just quieting your thoughts right now. Eyes closed. I'm just going to quiet your thoughts. I'm going to give you just a few minutes. Now I want you to recall a memory of a time when you felt safe and seen. I don't want you to overthink this. I just want you to let yourself go to the first thing that came to your mind when I said that. No strings attached to it. It's just good. You're safe and you're seen. This is what God did with Gideon. I did this for you. I was there then. Now, ask yourself this question. Where are you in this memory? Don't, don't open your eyes. Don't look around. This is between you and Jesus. He's either God or he's not. He's either Emmanuel with you or he's not. Where are you? What do you see? What do you hear? 
Sounds goofy, but what do you smell? you to ask this question you could say it out loud but you could say it in your head too Jesus hears you I want you to ask this question in this space right now Jesus where are you here in this memory show me where you are for some of you you may only see his feet or maybe you see his hands maybe you don't see clearly his face but you have this general sense of direction of where he is where is he what is he doing what is he wearing ask this Jesus what do you want me to know right now what is it you want me to know you have something to write with write down what you hear this is for you it's not for me still speaking to you, man, you hold the ground with him. This is Emmanuel. Jesus, we thank you for your revelation. We thank you for revealing truth that in fact you are trustworthy and dependable. It is evident in the past. It is evident in my right now, in my circumstances, whether they're good or whether they're bad, that you are there. Help me to see your presence. Give me the wisdom to discard falsities and to press into the promise of protection and to trust you in my pain.